tonight we're jumping back into what we've been talking about all semester. We've essentially been calling it the basics of Christianity um, without really giving it an overall title. Um, and last week, Paul talked about the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was a great like time. It was a great talk. If you missed it, if and like Matt said, we are on Spotify. If you want to catch last week's message, you can jump on Spotify, find Paul's talk on the Holy Spirit. Highly recommend that you go back and listen to it if you weren't here. It was really good stuff just talking about how we are able to be in a real relationship with God by his spirit, right? So jump in, check that out if you missed it. Uh, but tonight, we're going to go back in, and ultimately what we want to do is we're going to look at Jesus and his friends, okay? And the question is, why are we looking at Jesus and his friends? Because we're talking about community, right? Which is one of the topics that ultimately, well, the slide was already up there, so everybody knew that before I even said it. Uh, but it's community is one of the, our favorite things to talk about, honestly, because it's probably something we all already do really, really well. And honestly, when you begin to ask someone like, hey, what's your favorite thing about Chi Alpha? I guarantee like nine times out of ten they're going to say, oh, it's a great community, right? And it's awesome and it's wonderful. But then you begin to actually ask the question, well, what do they mean by a great community? And so tonight, we're going to answer that question. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to do it by looking at Jesus, his friends, and his community because it is one of the fundamental parts of our lives with Christ, right? In the Bible, well, I'm just not having good luck with mics tonight. No worries. I may just start talking as loud as I can. Um, in the Bible, Jesus' friends are called the disciples, okay? But in reality, Jesus, this was like Jesus' squad. Right? These were his best friends, they were his homies, they were Du Bois, or for the ladies in the house, they were the girls, right? Like these were Jesus' friends. And to be honest, they had something pretty unique and special. These weren't just acquaintances that they had, they were friendships that lasted for like years past Jesus' death. And it developed into a community that not only affected their lives, but it actually changed the world. And it was because of those friendships and that community that Jesus began to establish with the disciples that we're still here today talking about Jesus and talking about the things he did and talking about the things that he did through his disciples, right? And so it's pretty powerful stuff. And, in, and, and you, you, you say that. It's like the idea of a community is powerful. And we all grow up longing for a community. We have this sense within us that we need to belong to something. Right? We need to belong to something or belong with someone. And, and we all have this desire. We want to invest life with, with people or with someone. We want to be valued. We want to look for those picturesque moments of life with others. Right, And it, it all culminates into this idea that when you think about it more and more and more, communities turn into something being just very substantial and influential over our lives. And it can either be in a good way or it can be in a bad way. Sometimes we, we've said the statement, you know, show me your friends or I'll show you your future. And, you know, tonight this isn't a, necessarily a pep talk about having good friends. What this is about is recognizing the power and the influence that a good, healthy community can have over our lives. Because at the, at the baseline of it, all of us desire to be a part of something or to belong with someone or some people, Right? And so we jump in and we begin to talk about this because honestly, when it comes down to it, all communities share commonalities. 
But there are only a few things that are healthy and life-giving that communities actually share. And Chi Alpha, we're a community. We're called to be a God-following, healthy community. And so to talk about that tonight, what we're actually going to do is we're going to talk about the five things that we've identified through Jesus' life while he spent time with the disciples that he fought for to see a godly community become established and developed, right? And so to jump into it, I actually have a little exercise for all of us, a little participation, if you will. And so we're going to have fun. It, it's, it's honestly safe to assume that most of you guys in here are movie buffs, right? I mean, especially after COVID and all the binge watching that we all got to have for about a year straight. Um, and so what I want to do right now is I'm going to say a few famous movie quotes, either from a movie or from a franchise movie. And what I want is I want whoever can think of the movie first, I want you to shout out like the source of the quote. All right. Okay. Are you ready? Some people are like nervous about this. Okay. Here, here's the first round of quotes. All right. I'm going on an adventure. That's The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, okay. Man, y'all are too quick for that one. All right, here's another one. Lieutenant Dan. All right, all right. Here you go, here you go. Here's, here's one more for you guys. It's over. I have the high ground. See, I had like a whole page of quotes, but it was honestly pointless. Why, why did I do that? Why, why did I have you guys shout it out? For a test, yeah, there you go, because all of you guys aren't worried about exams already. Um, we went through this because we share a common knowledge, okay, we, of, of movies. And it brings us to this kind of first point when we talk about community, when we talk about one of the things that Jesus focused on in establishing a godly community, it's this. We say it was a common understanding, okay? When we talk about common understanding, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 4. If you guys want to turn your Bibles there, or open your phones or whatever and find it. We're going to be in verses 18 through 20 for a, a few bits, but it's pretty short. So we're right here. It's common understanding. And Jesus begins by saying, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Now, right here in this moment, Jesus calls and they follow because of a common understanding. So here's the deal. It's widely accepted that most of the 12 disciples and all of those who followed Jesus, when we read about it in the Bible, already knew who he was. Okay? Almost all of the disciples are from the northern region of Israel at the time, where Jesus had lived and worked prior to the three years of his life that we have accounted for in the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we, we talk about Jesus all the time and all the stories we talk about come from those three books in the Bible. And so basically what I'm saying is that it was like Jesus and the disciples were a part of a small town, okay? And, and many of you guys, y'all are from small towns, y'all understand this. I, myself, I'm actually not just from a small town, but it was a small town surrounded, surrounded by more small towns, okay? And when you grow up in a concept like that, it, it, or, or a context like that, what you begin to experience is that everybody knows everybody. And it goes even a step further of not just do they know you, they actually know what you're doing. And it, sometimes it's kind of shocking. It's like, wait, how did you know that I get coffee at this place every single day, right? And, and, and so that's what you begin to experience when you talk about this idea that the disciples actually already understood a little bit about who Jesus was. We could even think about it like this, okay? 
most of us in here tonight know our friend Jordan. Where are you at, brother? <laughs> How you doing? Doing great? Awesome. So many of us in this room know who Jordan is. Now, surprisingly, all of us actually do have a common understanding about Jordan, even if you haven't really spent that much time with him, okay? Let, let's say this. Let's say what, what happened if you, after Kai Alpha tonight, you were talking with Jordan, and he goes, hey, follow me. I know how we can have some fun. <laughs> right? What just came to your mind that you were about to go do with Jordan? <laughs> You're probably going to either throw on a helmet, hop on a dirt bike, jump in the back of a Subaru, and just floor it and rip the e-brake. Essentially, you're just going to go send it, right? Yeah. Like, like what, what you begin to realize is that because we live in this community and because we know our dear friend Jordan and we have such great friendships with him, it's pretty widely accepted that we have a common understanding about who he is and ultimately that he likes to send it, which is awesome, my friend. Um, but, but you get what I'm saying here is that the disciples heard Jesus say, follow me, and they very well understood and knew what he was actually asking of them. You know, the common understanding they share is that Jesus was not just a current-day rabbi or prophet within the New Testament time and in their culture, but he was more than that. And he was actually inviting them to be a part of it with him. When you begin to see this, that common understanding is so vital to a community because if we do not know the why of spending time together, of why we actually choose to spend time together, then there really is not that much of a reason for us to even spend time together at all. And that's what Jesus is beginning to declare as he calls his disciples. Because ultimately, Jesus spent his life trying to help create a common understanding with people. It was important for the disciples and the followers of Christ to know why they should give their lives to following him. And the why is to simply know God. If we were to boil this down, what it means to have a common understanding in a godly community, it would simply be this. The why is to know God. And you begin to read the New Testament, you begin to read the Gospels, and parable after parable, teaching after teaching, and healing after healing was all about Jesus as the Son of God and knowing him as Christ, right? And, and what's important to note here is that there is, there is a common misconception, is that having a common understanding is not the same thing as having a common agreement with someone. There are many people in the Bible that actually agreed with Jesus and the importance of knowing God, but that agreement didn't actually affect their lives or change anything about their lives. It was only those who understood that actually know him. Agreement, I, I like to say it this way, agreement is intellectual, while understanding is from the heart. Meaning that though you can agree with something intellectually, it starts within the mind, when you begin to actually understand it is when you actually begin to decide to make it more than just a thought. It starts to become a part of your life, and it's lived out by action, right? So when we say that we, as a godly community, have a common understanding to know God, it's not to an extent that we're just saying, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Like, I've read a little bit of the Bible. I've heard a couple stories. So, yeah, I, I, I think it, a common understanding for this group is to know God. But when we say that we have a common understanding, it's something that we, we begin to know intellectually, like, yes, we're here to know God, but that it's going to go from the head into the heart and actually get lived out in our lives and change the way we do things, right? 
And this begins to go into the next point, which brings like the next piece of what a godly community is, and that's what we call having a common purpose, okay? We jump back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, and it's a very quick moment where essentially Jesus has just said, come follow me, and that finishes the statement with saying, I will make you fishers of men. Like almost immediately after Jesus tells these men to follow, he tells them what they're actually going to do. And like I said, they pretty much understood why they were going to give their lives to follow Jesus, to know God. They are now learning what they're going to be doing with Jesus, and it's to make God known, right? When we begin to live out common understanding, it turns into the common purpose. The action lived out is to make God known. You know, you can begin to think about previous friendships or communities or groups that you were a part of, like back in the day, whether you were a part of a sports team or like a school band or you were a part of a group that like shared a common interest or hobby. You know, I bet, honestly, you, you had a lot of fun, right? I, I know I personally, I played football growing up. I had a lot of fun with the football team, right? And you actually probably accomplished some pretty cool things when you were a part of that group, right? But honestly, the depth of those friendships that you experience in that group would end at the level of the purpose of the group most of the time. We could say it like this, that the greatest friendships we have are in direct proportion to the depth of their purpose. So this, when I was thinking through this and just processing these thoughts, I was actually reminded uh, last year, pre-COVID, there was an ad that Facebook used to run uh, just, on, just on social media, right? And the whole point of the ad was just to talk about how great Facebook groups are, okay? I don't know if any of you guys remember this at all, but it, it just stuck out to me because it was so ridiculous. It was, it was an ad where this girl was sitting in a classroom bored. And then all of a sudden, she, like, pulls out a kazoo. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those little plastic things that go, right? Pulls out a kazoo and starts, like, just playing on the kazoo. And then all of a sudden, in, the, in, in, that, in that video, in that ad, there's another person in the classroom who starts playing one. And then they get up, and then they start dancing off all happy. And then the progression happens where another person has a kazoo and another person in it. And it gets to this ridiculous point where there's a house full of people all playing the kazoo, having a great time, Right? It was ridiculous. I was like, why, why is this like, why is this a thing, right? And, and what I began to recognize in this is, and ask the question is, how deep do you think some of those relationships in this Facebook group for kazoo players is, right? Jesus begins to explain the purpose of their community more. If you go into Matthew chapter 9, there's this moment that Jesus has with the disciples, and it says this, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, it goes, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus doesn't exactly say it very clearly in this scripture, but what he's getting at here is the emphasis that there is a need, there is a purpose for us to go out and to love people 
and to talk about the kingdom of God. And that purpose, that common purpose that he was communicating was to make known that he was there, that he was the Messiah who had come to save those who were lost, right? To be the good shepherd for the lost sheep. And I know this, this purpose that Jesus was communicating to be true, even in my own life, I know it's there and I know that the depth of the friendships and community around me are stronger because of it. Because when you begin to think about it, what greater purpose is there for us to build a friendship, a relationship, or to have a community around than making God known, right? It's Easter weekend. We, the Easter week, not just weekend, but this whole week we're thinking about Jesus and, and, and the, the, the progress that he took to going to the cross ultimately to seek and save that which is lost so that he could rise three days after being in the tomb and then ascend into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father on our behalf so that we can spend eternity with him. What greater purpose is there for us to not give our lives to than that, Right? And I know, again, that this is true because, honestly, this describes the basis of one of the closest friendships I actually have right now in my life. And that's my friendship with Paul. You know, um, what's fun when I begin to think about me and Paul and being friends, it's, it's pretty cool. We've done some pretty awesome stuff, right? We've built some things. We've fixed things. We've shot things. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. And actually, one of the, when I began to think about some of the adventures Paul and I have been on, one of my favorite ones is a couple years ago we went on a sheep hunt. For some reason, we thought it would be a great idea to put on some heavy packs, track, tr trek 30-plus miles, like, like cross two rivers barefoot, climb two mountains, get stuck on one mountain because we couldn't make it back in time. And so we had to set up a tarp shelter and sleep for the night and only the clothes that we had on. And we didn't even bag a sheep that trip, right? Like, it was a ridiculous adventure. And it was, it was incredible. We had a blast on it. But through that, even though Paul and I are friendship, like we've had a lot of fun and we've done some incredible things, I wouldn't say that Paul is one of my closest friends because we went on a sheep hunt, right? I would actually begin to describe to you guys one of the reasons he's my closest friend is that eight years ago, when Lindsay and I were still in Texas, we began to have a common understanding of why it was Paul and Crystal decided to move from Asia to Texas, and then that common understanding being that they were learning what it meant to start a Chi Alpha in Alaska and allowing that common understanding to turn into a common purpose where we actually got to spend time with them, had dinner with them, went to prayer meetings with them, began to hear their heart for what God wanted to do in Alaska through their lives and allow that to actually change our lives and the direction that we were going to come and join them, which has now turned into even more life shared, more time invested with one another more prayer meetings, more times fasting, more times having so much fun, and at the same time crying over what is going on and what it is the Lord has on our hearts and the visions and the dreams we have for this community, for this state, and for this world. What it is that drives Paul to be one of my closest friends in my life right now is that we share a common purpose, and that common purpose is to make God known. And that same common purpose is something that we strive to fight for within this community. That we talk about all the time that we're a family and we have so much fun together. We have more fun on accident than people have on purpose. 
You know, when we say, when we say that, we begin to think about there are so many people who decide to go out on a Friday night. Well, used to pre-COVID, but would go out on like a Friday night and go to the pub or go to the bar and start to try and, 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 and find ways to have fun, make decisions that they think would, would help them have a good time. When ultimately, when we have fun on accident, it's just like, hey, what do you do tonight? Nothing? Okay, let's just go drive around and see what happens. We wind up drifting around Tanana Lakes. We wind up having a bonfire over at someone's house or having a game night or watching movies until like 3 a.m. Like, like we, and, and it's in those moments that we begin to find real community as a family. But all of that is lived out through intentionality, which is driven by our common purpose of making God known. And we become an army, Right? It's by our common understanding to know Christ and our common purpose to make him known that the world will know who we are and the relationships that we will experience will remain true and steadfast. The third piece of what it makes a godly community is constant communication. This is a fun one. We can jump back into Matthew chapter 4, verse 20. It says, immediately they, Peter and Andrew, left their nets and followed him. Jesus called these guys to be with him. Simply put, Jesus was telling them that they would now live their lives completely with him. Where he went, they went. Where he slept, they slept. What he ate, they ate. So on and so forth. The community that Jesus was establishing was one that lived life together. They shared time, resources. They, they shared their stories, their dreams, their visions. Everything that I've been communicating already, all of this required communication, but not only communication by words, by sitting down and talking to one another or sending text messages or, or having a Zoom chat, but it was communication that was lived out by action, right? A community only exists when people live life together. They have constant interaction, constant communication. In Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, the author gives us a quick glance at what living life together actually takes. He says this in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, like I said, we can read this verse and we begin to talk about what it actually takes to live life together. One, it takes proximity. He says it in the verse, not neglecting to meet together. Actually being physically with one another is a pretty vital part of developing and maintaining a friendship in a community. It's pretty hard to communicate with one another if you're not actually around to communicate, right? We can text each other all day long, but if any, I know anybody in this room has probably had a moment when they're trying to text a thought to somebody and they just can't do it through text message. You're like, ah, just, I, let's just hang out. What are you doing right now, right? And then you sit down and you actually have a conversation. You actually are spending time with one another, right? It takes proximity. It takes vulnerability. It says in the verse, stir up with one another to love and good works. And if we're going to spend time stirring up each other, then we need to spend time really knowing who each other is, which means we have to be okay with being vulnerable and transparent with one another, right? When we say vulnerability, we say the capability of being wounded, right? Where you're okay with not just, and not just sharing the good parts about your life, you're okay with actually sharing almost everything about your life, right? 
And it's okay because you recognize that it's all right if someone takes it and, and may hurt me with it. Because in the end, my common understanding and my common purpose are about to know God and to make him known. And that vulnerability leans itself into transparency. When, when we say transparency, just a simple definition of, of it can be seen through. And what we mean by this when we talk about living in a constant community of living life together, it's this idea that everybody isn't just seeing the front that you're putting up. That everybody isn't just seeing everything that you're doing great in life or how you're being successful, but they can actually be involved in what it is that's going wrong in your life and what you're struggling through, right? And the reason that these two things are important when we share life with one another, because like it said, we need to stir up love and good works in, in one another, right? The reason it's important is because it creates authenticity. It creates genuineness in our relationships. That way, when I know that I'm spending time with one of my friends, that I actually know what's going on in his life. I know what it is that I can say to encourage him, what it is that I can say to help him, or just being there for him, right? Living life together takes encouragement. He literally says, but encourage one another, right? We have to speak life over each other. Find out what is good and godly in everybody's life and honor it. Talk about that. It's so easy for us these days to sit there and to tear each other apart. I mean, literally, it doesn't take but like two minutes after a newsreel or something happens nationally for there to be a new meme that's tearing it apart, right? We live in a culture that is so great. And honestly, the, some of those memes are hilarious, right? But that is the culture we live in where it's so much easier for us to tear into one another than to actually build one another up. It takes time. You have to actually spend time with someone to understand what it is that they're doing in their life. How are they actually living out godly character traits? How are they actually seeing their life become more like Christ, right? That takes time. That takes investment, right? And it's important. And lastly, when you begin to read that verse, we talk about it takes availability to live life together. He ends the verse by saying, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this is interesting because the writer of Hebrews here is making a clear statement that we are not promised tomorrow when he, say, when he says the day is drawing near. Because what he's referencing here is he's referencing the day that Christ is coming back. And we've already talked about that a little bit this semester when Paul was talking about the hope of hell and sin, and we talked about fear of the Lord, that Christ is going to return, and one day we're going to meet him either as Savior or as judge, right? And the, the writer of Hebrews is declaring that, and the reason that we talk about availability here is because this places a sense of expectancy and urgency on us to be a godly community. And if there's a sense of urgency and expectancy, well, then we need to make ourselves available to it right? When we find out that a friend actually needs us, then we need, to be act we need to make ourselves available to be there, right? When we find out that something's going on that we could be a part of, that we can have a lot of fun with, or, or we can go and meet someone new to bring in to be a part of this wonderful community, well, then it's easy for us to make a decision of like, well, yeah, I can, I can save this movie time later. I can save this time of, of reading a book later, and I can go spend time here and hang out with this person or go find someone else to invite to something that is going on to get more people involved in what God is doing here, right? We make ourselves available. There is power in us being together and being in constant communication and living life. You know, as I've been praying and, and thinking and talking about, you know, this, 
through this conversation for tonight, I was actually told of one of our friends in our community that lives out this so well, and that's Linnea. I don't even know if Linnea is here tonight. I think she is. But um, one of the things that, that the girls kept bragging about with Linnea is that she has made herself so available to just spend time with people. She's always hanging out with girls in her small group. She's always hanging out with other people within this community. And it's something that's really beautiful because you begin to go up and you could, you could easily talk to one of the girls in Linnea's small group and be like, hey, you know, what do you love about being friends with Linnea? And likely they're going to say, oh, she's always spending time with me. They may even go so far as to say, oh, I know she cares about me. Well, how do you know that she cares about you? Well, because she's always wanting to spend time with me, you know? And you begin to talk about that, and you begin to understand that, that what Linnea is doing is that, yes, she's loving people, but she's made it very clear that the time I'm spending with you means I care about you, but not just myself. More than that, Jesus cares about you. And I'm going to love you, and I'm going to care about you, and I'm going to spend life with you because I want you to know Jesus as I do, right? And it's beautiful, and I'm so grateful for not just Linnea, but many of you in this room who understand this, right? It's something that's a beautiful piece of this community that we all get to be a part of, right? Constant communication is needed because a community does not really exist if we don't share life together. Bless you. <laughs> the, the next piece of what makes a godly community is something we call common unselfishness. All right. We're going to jump out of the book of Matthew and we're going to go over to the book of John chapter 13. Because here we see Jesus model this piece, what we're talking about here of community, in John 13 so well. And it's where Jesus actually serves his friends. It says this, he says in verse 4, Jesus rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. You jump ahead to verse 12. Jesus, it continues and it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. You know, we see here that Jesus chooses to humble himself by doing something that he didn't need to do. Some of you guys may have heard this scripture before. It's one that gets shared quite often. And it's something that ultimately washing someone's feet in Jesus's time was something that was reserved for the lowliest servant. And if you didn't have servants at the time, washing feet was something that you yourself only did. Because you begin to think about what people wore, their footwear and everything that they were walking through and walking in that the, the, the feet were just disgusting, right? And what we find here 
is that even though the nature of washing the feet was so terrible, was so lowly, Jesus finds a need and meets it with complete selflessness, right? Now, there's also, within this whole moment, there's, a, there's something that happens here that I think is pretty beautiful. And it's interesting because it's when Peter gets dramatic with Jesus, right? He's like, no, Jesus, like, like, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. And then Jesus says, no, I have to wash you. And then he goes, okay, well, if you have to, then just wash all of me, right? And, and it's a very dramatic moment. But what shocked me in going through this was Jesus' response to Peter. Ultimately, he says that, Peter was clean, except for his feet. And that stood out to me. I began to say, like, Lord, what, what, what's going on here? And immediately as I began to, like, think about this and pray, I was, honest, I was filled with gratitude. Because it was the gratitude of when I began to think about our community finding a need and meeting it. Right? I begin to think about stories, whether it's been this year or years in the past, where we've had people that have, have gone out of their way to, like, feed the homeless, help fix cars. They've given away computers. They've given away equipment. They've helped people, like, buy meals and such. We've even had students that have paid for other students' tuitions because of a financial hardship, right? Like, there has been, a, like, just a crazy amount of generosity in this community because we have a conviction of finding a need and meeting it because we have a sense of a common unselfishness. But what the Lord began to remind me is that, yes, we have this conviction, is that though we have met so many needs, there are still going to be more to find. Though Peter was clean, Jesus still had to wash his feet. As Again, as, as I've thought about this and, and, and really just been, been talking through it, the Lord, had again, brought someone to my mind that I feel like has been modeling this so well in our community, and that's actually Anna. And, and many of you guys know this is Anna's first year of being with us, being a part of this community. And one of the things that happened, and some of you guys may not have heard the story, is that in the beginning of the year, Anna had gotten connected with a couple girls who had not been to Fairbanks before, but they were coming up here for school, right? And so she went out of her way and she made them little like Fairbanks welcome gift baskets, right? It was, it was pretty sweet. And so when they got here, she like took care of them, gave them these gift baskets, right? But then she went a step further and made sure that she was going to be the first friend they had here in Fairbanks, right? It takes a sense of selflessness to be able to think through intentionality like that, Right? If you, had a, if, if you were thinking more about yourself than you were thinking about others, then you probably would have just been connected to these people and been like, okay, well, here's a quick email for you. You know, when you get here, get a taxi from the airport. They'll take you to more Scarlet Bartlett and, you know, find an RA, you know, and then you'll be good, right? But if you're acting out in, in common unselfishness like we've been fighting for, when you f have a conviction of finding a need and meeting it, it changes the way you begin to make decisions. It changes the way you begin to treat others, right? And I guarantee you, when you begin to talk to people and you begin to ask them what it is about this community that has impacted you the most, oftentimes you're going to hear multiple words of, oh, I've just had so much fun, or people care about me, or, you know, this one time I had this need, and, and they just, they, they helped me. They, they met me where I was at, and they were there for me, right? 
And it takes a conviction. It takes a common unselfishness. You keep reading in the Bible in multiple times that, that this comes up. When Paul talks about it later on, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Again, John says it in the book of 1 John. He says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? When we think about unselfishness, we honestly, we begin to think about generosity. And I, I've already described most of what I've already talked about with you guys is talking about us meeting a need with our own generosity. But it can go even further than that. It means that we begin to approach each other with a love and unselfishly choosing for the highest good for one another. Ultimately wanting to think about how can I help this person encounter Jesus, have a deeper relationship with God. How can I encourage this person to grow closer to God and us grow closer to God together as a community, right? That's loving someone. That's loving someone unselfishly. It even goes so far as to say we choose to help bear one another's burdens. And one of the things I'm so grateful for in this community, even just within the friendships I have that are close to me in this community, is I know that I can go to particular guys and friends in my life and say, man, I'm really walking through this. Can you just be with me? Can you pray for me? Can, do, you, do, you, do you have any like, advice to help me through this? Because I know that there is an unselfishness among us that says I'm here not just to get something out of you, but to be here for you. And that takes it into this next step. When we think about a common understanding and being a part of a godly community with this common unselfishness, that we approach it with not about what I can get, out of this community, which is selfishness, but it's about what the community will become because of what I give to it, which is selflessness, right? And this is a community for Christ. The final piece of godly community we want to talk about tonight, what we, what we see Jesus continue to fight for is finally this, it's constant forgiveness, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, we find this. It says, Then Peter came up to him and said, he's talking to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgave him, forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Or some, verses, some versions say seventy times seven. You know, a couple weeks ago, my wife, Lindsay, my better half, actually preached about forgiveness and killed it, right? So what I'm going to tell you guys is to go on Spotify and go find that message that my wife preached and listen to that because she's going to be communicating it far better than I could right now, right? But at the heart of what she said a couple weeks ago is that there is a truth of life that we are going to be hurt by people. No matter what community you're gonna be a part of, there's going to be pain involved. And the deepest hurts that we experience are from those that we share the deepest relationships with. Even Jesus, Jesus witnessed this while fighting for his disciples, his best friends to become a godly community. 
You know, we find further on in John 18, it's actually the account of Peter denying and betraying Jesus, the man that he swore his, his life and his friendship to, the person he said, I will never leave or forsake you. We find him denying and betraying Jesus three times. One of the beautiful things about this moment is that later on in John chapter 21, we see Jesus after the cross, after the resurrection, has a moment with Peter where they're actually sharing breakfast together. And Jesus forgives him. And he restores a relationship with him. Right? If Jesus had allowed himself to be hurt in such a way from a person that shared such an intimate relationship in life with, and yet still forgave him, then why is it so hard for us to be able to forgive those who may hurt us? And, and it's sad to say it, but it is a truth in life. Every community is going to have its struggles, there's gonna be failures, and you're gonna be hurt in some way, shape, or form. But in that same level of consistency is that we fight for constant forgiveness, having a disposition that's ready to welcome restoration, not a disposition that's ready to build up rebellion or retaliation, right? Forgiveness is a choice. It's something that should drive us to a community because we recognize that we are for Christ rather than drive us away from a community. As we, you know, begin to, to come to a close and we've, we've talked about these five things that we've identified through Jesus' life that he fought for for a godly community. When we talk about common understanding, common purpose, constant communication, you know, common unselfishness and constant forgiveness. And I began to spend more time on the Lord today about this. I was reminded of one more scripture. I feel like I've been quoting scripture all night, which is a good thing. Um, but we're, we're going to go, and it's actually not going to be on the screen. This is in Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. Okay, I'm going to give you guys the context of this a little bit, and then I'm going to read it to you all. So what happens here is we have the apostles, who are essentially Jesus' disciples, his best friends, the boys, who are now what we call the church. Okay, They're the godly community that Jesus has now left behind to continue the work of furthering the kingdom of God on earth, okay? And what's happened here is they've actually been arrested for a second time for making Jesus known, what we've been talking about, right? This is the second time they've been arrested, and there was this great council of Jewish leaders meeting and discussing how they were going to get rid of them because they were so mad about what these guys were doing, okay? So that's the context. That's where we're at. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to jump into Acts chapter 5. If you got your Bibles or your phones, you can join me here. Verse 33. When they heard this, the Jewish leaders, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men, the apostles, outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. 
he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy. This is the apostles. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. I love this portion of scripture right here. It's because one of the wisest men in this room, in this council of elders, of all of these just supposed to be just incredible like Jewish leaders who knew the law front to back, one of the wisest men in the room recognized the power of a godly community. He began to think about in the past when there were uprisings, when there were groups of people or communities that popped up that were bringing people away and saying, come, follow me, we know the right way. And when their leader had either died or been taken away, that community had fallen apart. And he, he's, basically, he's just declaring it. It was, it was a simple idea that, listen, if the leader is gone, that these, these followings, these communities, they just die off. But if this is of the Lord, then what's going to happen is it's going to continue. And there's nothing we can do about it. And if anything, we should let it happen or find ourselves opposing God in whom we're trying to serve. And what's beautiful, what the Lord begins to speak to me about this verse is that there is a power in a godly community. These things that we've been talking about tonight, these five points, these things that Jesus constantly fought for, a common understanding to know Christ, a common purpose to make Christ known, constant communication, living life together, common unselfishness, loving one another well, and constant forgiveness, having a disposition to forgive 70 times 7, that all of these pieces went together that are focused on the Lord is going to create something that isn't just going to be a fun little group that gets together on Thursday nights to sing some songs, hear an encouraging word, and then to walk out for the rest of the week. But it's going to be a group of people that through the Lord is going to see the world changed by a room of college students, by a room of friends, by a room of family, that are driven to see Christ known in our lives and through our lives. And as we end tonight, the response that I would have for you guys is ultimately a challenge. What we've been talking about, some of you guys have probably heard this conversation. We call it the five C's. Y'all probably heard this a few times already. But what's beautiful about it is when we begin to think about it, we begin to pray about it, we begin to actually be intentional about these things, we will continue to see God do something incredible, no matter the circumstances that we're walking through as a community, no matter the circumstances that are surrounding us in this world. Because ultimately, we, like I said in the beginning of our talk tonight, the whole reason that we're here is that there was a man 2,000 years ago 
who got a group of guys together, who had a, had a, had a room of followers, not just disciples, but followers, who had a common understanding and a common purpose that drove them to live life together, to be unselfish towards one another, and to have a disposition of forgiveness that ultimately now, 2,000 plus years later, we're still here today. And we're not just here today talking about it, but we're still seeing it change lives and we're seeing it change the world. And Jesus is still inviting everybody to be a part of it with us. I love it. I love it. And this, it's just, it's a privilege to be a part of. And so tonight, like I said, this is a challenge. Go out from this place, know God, and make him known. And we will experience this community, not just grow, but we will experience this community become something that God will use to change the world. So I'm going to pray for us tonight, and I'm going to ask you to go out and be a community. Have fun, right? So Lord Jesus, we love you. And we are grateful that we get to spend this time together. And we are grateful, Lord, that we are able to share life with one another. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just impress upon us these five things of intentionality. That we spend time understanding who you are. We spend time making you known. We spend time sharing life together. We spend time loving one another well. And we always have a disposition of forgiveness and reconciliation, Jesus. Because, Lord, these were things that you fought for. And if it wasn't for these things, we wouldn't even be here today talking about this. But, Lord, you're worthy of all of it. You're worthy of everything we can do to praise you, to honor you, to glorify you, and to make you known. Be with us, Jesus, as we go out from this place. And we thank you so much, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Y'all have a good night. Go have some fun.